0: Want to learn how to leverage your marketing to get clients on repeat? Charge a fee that leaves you with money in your pocket even after you've finished paying your bills? And finally, stop working with the clients that you've long outgrown? Liberated Business is a transformational program that combines group and one-on-one work so you get the best results possible. This differs from every other program out there because it helps you make money while supporting your joy and liberation throughout your entrepreneurial journey. Liberated Business starts this June and runs through November, and enrollment is open now. Visit thebadtherapist.coach slash liberatedbusiness to get all of the details and sign up. DM me on Instagram at thebadtherapist with any questions or to learn more. I cannot wait to get started with you. I had spent years working in agencies in settings that other people wanted to create. And I knew that if I was going to go through the trouble of building a practice, I really wanted it to be something that was for me. Of course, it's for my clients, but if it's my business, it also needs to be a business that really works for me. So I tried as much as possible to say no to the offers that seemed really good, but ultimately were taking me back and taking me further away from the thing I really, really wanted to create. Hey there, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show, the podcast for current and aspiring private practice therapists who want to earn more money, work less, and have a way bigger impact. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist, former goody-goody therapist turned six-figure private practice owner and therapist business coach. I'm here to help you learn everything you need to know about private practice and expanding beyond the one-to-one model so you can earn more money and increase your impact as a therapist without burning out or hustling. Using my proven liberated business method, therapists at all stages of business have been able to grow their income while becoming even better therapists. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. It's time for you to get your time back and enjoy being a therapist again. You ready? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist. Today we're talking about life after graduation and one of the main decisions you'll have to make, where to complete your hours. We'll cover your three main options for training sites and how to make decisions about what to prioritize so you can stay on track. I'll be sharing some of the moves that I made post-graduation, some of the placements I said no to and why, and how all of that set me up for private practice success. Let's get into it. So I know at this time of year, a lot of therapists are graduating right now. So if that's you, congratulations, you have passed a major milestone and you are one step closer to your private practice. Now, there are so many different directions we could take this episode. There's so much ground to cover, but I'm really going to be focusing on The three main ways to get your hours after you graduate, with a particular focus on people who already know they want to go into private practice once they're licensed. So, like I said, there are a few main ways to get your hours after you've graduated, and there are pros and cons associated with each one. Now, these pros and cons that I'm going to share with you are really generalizations. Obviously, within each of these categories, there are going to be tons and tons of variations. So, I'm just going to give you a sort of general assessment of the pros and cons of each of these three different options, but do know that there is a wide, wide variety of how these can actually play out. So the typical one that most of us think of after graduation, and you may have already worked in a setting like this when you were doing your traineeship, is an agency or nonprofit work, maybe working in a hospital or having a city or county job. So these are probably the most common ways that people will get their hours. And some of the pros to working in one of these settings is that you will likely have a reliable paycheck. You'll have exposure to potentially lots of different populations. You may be on the way to qualifying uh, to get to take advantage of some of the loan forgiveness programs that are out there. And you can probably walk through the rest of your career knowing that you can handle anything if you can work in these environments and not burn out, right? You'll have that sense of Yeah, I know what it's like to be in a really intense environment, and I know that I can handle that. Some of the cons to working in an agency or nonprofit setting can be that the workload is often really intense, like I just said, and oftentimes the compensation doesn't really match the work that you're doing. And so that is a really big drawback. So you do have that reliable paycheck, which can be really helpful, can help you not feel as stressed or as worried about being able to pay your bills but you could be expected to have a pretty intense workload. Oftentimes, you're working with folks who have more severe needs. And that's kind of always been interesting to me that we often give our newest clinicians some of the toughest jobs out there and then also don't pay them well. I think this is a major problem with the mental health system in general, but we're not going to solve it in this one episode of the podcast. But I think that is just something for you to consider and going in. And like I said, these are generalizations, so this isn't to say that there aren't agencies out there that wouldn't pay you really well for your labor, and I would (laughs) go out of your way to look for those. Um, The other thing that could be challenging here is potential exposure to systems that don't actually want you to take care of your health and take care of yourself as a mental health worker. For instance, um, back in the day when I was working in a methadone clinic, which was uh, a for-profit company, actually but most of uh, our billing went through like Medi-Cal and stuff like that, but it was a for-profit company. Uh, I walked into my manager's office one day and was like, I need a mental health day. And he literally said, we don't get mental health days around here. So that's pretty interesting to be in mental health care and be told. Like most places are probably not as blatant as that, but that is oftentimes like the underlying message we get. You're expected to Take care of yourself, but only so much. And you're expected to be in these really intense work environments without being paid very well, without a lot of support. So those are obviously the cons. That's like the dark side of this. And this isn't to say that all placements are like this, but those are some things to look out for. Your second option is a traditional private practice. So this is like you find a therapist that you like who is willing to bring you on as an employee, or you might be searching for Practices like this that already exist that are just looking for new associates to take on. So sometimes therapists will post these job listings on places like Indeed or even just Craigslist. So you can look at these different placements. Sometimes your um, graduate school will be able to connect you to some different places to get your hours. So sometimes it begins by uh, you having a connection to a particular supervisor. Maybe they specialize in something that you're really interested in and you would really like to work under them. And so you can always reach out to someone that you admire and say, hey, would you be willing to take me on? Now, as the therapist in private practice, if they're not already employing other therapists, if they don't already have a group practice, if they're not already hiring associates, it's a pretty big ask. Um, not all of them are going to be willing to do that, but you know what? No harm, no foul. Ask for what you want. And you might just have someone say yes to you. In fact, we're going to have someone on the show um, a few weeks from now, Scott Walderson, who is the director of the Center for Mindful Psychotherapy. And I believe that's actually how he decided to start Center for Mindful Psychotherapy. We'll ask him when he's on, but uh it does happen. So don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Um, and look for placements like this. So You'll also potentially benefit from the marketing that this therapist has already done. The fact that they've been in practice for a period of time, you're basically benefiting from the work that they've already done to hopefully build your caseload. So that can be really helpful. You also may get the opportunity to see a little bit about what it's like to actually run a private practice. And if that is something you would like to go into at some point, this could be really great experience for you to witness it from Uh, the employee side. Um, And depending on who the private practice owner is, you may get to see more about what it's like to actually run a private practice, or you may be there more just like an employee. Some of the cons are that these can be a little harder to come by, but I do think that is beginning to change as more and more therapists are starting their own group practices and are looking for associates that they're willing to mentor and supervise. However, like I said, I don't know that they're, they're obviously not as common as agency positions are going to be. One of the other cons can be that you're still at risk of having pretty low pay. And this can happen if the practice owner is either taking a really large cut of the fees that you're charging clients, or if the private practice owner hasn't really given any guidelines around what to charge or if their policies aren't such that they're charging the client enough. Because if you think about it, when they take you on as an employee, they need to be able to pay you, pay themselves, and pay for all the costs associated with having an employee. So a lot of us don't realize this. There are actually a lot of costs associated with employing other people. So it's really not as simple as them getting paid and you getting paid, there are all these additional costs that go into hiring employees into your practice. So I'm not going to go into that right now. But if the therapist, if the private practice owner uh, that you're going to be working under hasn't really run the numbers and isn't charging the clients in the practice enough, then what we'll see sometimes is that you're not going to get paid very well. They're not going to get paid very well. And if you're already past the stage in your practice or you've been in a group practice that is kind of not being run uh, very efficiently or the therapist who owns that has some maybe weird money stuff going on, you know how hard it can be when the private practice owner hasn't really done their homework around this. It's not a great place for anyone to work. So being in a private practice setting doesn't necessarily protect you from an environment where you're not getting paid well again, these are generalizations. There are some private practices, some group practices that hire associates that can be fantastic places for associates to work. And then the third option is going to be something that's sort of like a hybrid model. So something like a nonprofit counseling center. And I've mentioned center for mindful psychotherapy a lot. This is one such place. It is not a private practice. Uh, But it's also not a typical agency. It's not a a place that's offering wraparound services. It's more like a counseling center. So these places typically provide some training and supervision, uh, and they might also set uh, some of the practice policies and fees. They might sort of standardize that across the counseling center, whereas some others will allow you a lot of freedom in terms of that. Some counseling centers will say, well, actually, you get to set the policies for your particular practice. Uh, under this umbrella of the counseling center. So there can be a lot of different options in this area. Some other pros may be that your office could be included. Uh, Trainings, both business and clinical could be included. Sometimes there is a sense of community because you're in this counseling center with other clinicians who are in the same stage Of building their careers and their businesses as you are. And so that can be a really sort of soft place to land, especially as you're coming out of that graduate school experience where maybe you were spending a lot of time with your cohort members and now you're kind of leaving the nest and sometimes going into these larger settings that like agencies or something that's a little bit more isolated, like a traditional private practice model, sometimes that can feel a little bit hard of a transition. So these counseling centers can sometimes be a really nice intermediate step because you still have some coziness of community, uh, but you do potentially have more freedom and it is mirroring a little bit more of what it'll be like when you are actually in private practice. Some cons to this type of model is that if trainings are included In some cases, not only are they included, but they're also required. So if you are coming straight out of graduate school and you're like, I already did a bunch of training, I I need to focus on practicing right now, but you have a bunch of required trainings, that can sometimes be frustrating for people. They may not want to spend as much time doing it. In some cases, your office and supervisor are not a given. They're not chosen for you. In some cases, you may actually be required to go out and find your own office space and find your own supervisor both of which become contracted to the agency itself because in many states and with many license types, we can't actually have our own businesses or be having expenses in our own name. So if we're part of this sort of counseling center model, uh, the lease would actually have to be held by the counseling center and the supervisor would have to be contracted to the counseling center. So That may sound a little scary. I promise it's not. It's actually pretty easy. You just go out, you look for an office for rent. And then rather than you signing the lease directly, the counseling center would sign the lease. So it's actually pretty straightforward. Okay, so now you have all of these options that you can choose from. And the really important next step is to think about what you want. What are your priorities? What trade-offs are you willing to make? And what resources do you have available to you that you can possibly leverage? If you need to go back and listen to those questions again and write them down, please do because I will want you to reflect on those because they're so important. When you know what's most important to you, it's going to become this guiding light for the years that follow your graduation during that period of time where you're getting your hours. So think about it. Is it more important for you to have a steady paycheck? Is it most important that you get your hours done quickly? Do you really want to have control over your schedule or who you get to work with? Is it important to you to have training that's baked in? Do you want that community like I was talking about earlier? Do you want that kind of soft landing after you leave graduate school? So think about all the different things that you really want, and then look for placement options that check as many of those boxes as possible. I'm going to share some of my story around how I made this decision as I was nearing the end of my graduate program. I had done agency work in the past, and when I was doing my traineeship, it was in a sort of counseling center type of place, like that third option that I was describing before. So even though it wasn't a typical private practice, it was a counseling center that was associated with my graduate program, and it mirrored a lot of what private practice life might look like. So I thought, you know, I really want to take advantage of this momentum that I've built here, and I want to continue with it. I know I can do agency work. I've done agency work. And I really want to see what I can do with this private practice thing. So I knew I wanted to look for placements that were going to set me up to be able to continue to roll into a private practice when I did finally get all my hours done and get licensed. I wanted something that would easily roll into that. I knew that building my own private practice was going to require a lot of me. There was going to be a lot to figure out. So even if it meant I couldn't rely on a steady paycheck like I might be able to in a sort of agency setting, I didn't want anything to get in the way of me building my private practice. I didn't want building my private practice to be something I did on the side. I wanted it to be my main focus, and I was super clear on that. Right before graduating from school, uh, our clinic director brought in some folks who had graduated the year before. And one of them shared that she had seen a lot of her grad school friends take agency jobs thinking that they would build their private practices on the side, but that's not what happened. They wanted to take these agency jobs because they really wanted to get their hours quickly. They wanted to have that consistent income. And they had this idea that the time that they weren't doing that, they would be building their private practices. But time and time again, that's not what happened. They didn't have. The time, they didn't have the energy, they were exhausted after their agency jobs, and the private practice just never really got off the ground because they didn't have the bandwidth for it. So after I heard that, I really took it to heart. And I had worked in agencies before full-time. So I knew what it was like to be doing 40 hours a week in the nonprofit sector, in mental health. And I, I knew that that was probably going to be true for me. So what I decided to do was do non-therapy, non-mental health jobs on the side, or rather keep on doing them because I, I had been doing them all through high school. So this looked like working at cafes. Uh, Cleaning houses. I knew that I didn't want that additional stream of income to be coming from an agency because I knew if I did that, it would just be so easy to get caught in that. And I wouldn't have the same incentive to really work on my private practice. And that's something that is specific to me. I mean, maybe you relate, maybe you're like that too, but it's certainly not the case for everybody. I knew what made me tick, I knew what would motivate me. And I knew that if I put myself in a place where I was going to be doing agency work, that I just probably wouldn't have the energy or the kind of motivation fire under my ass to actually work on my private practice. I didn't want any of those kinds of distractions. I was also in a position that I, though I was living in San Francisco, was living pretty inexpensively, and I was used to not having a lot of money. I also didn't have kids, and I rented my apartment. I wasn't saving for a house or retirement or really having any savings at all. I didn't have these big financial obligations. I was paying down my undergraduate, or yeah, my undergraduate student debt, but that was on income based repayment, which sometimes meant I was paying zero dollars. So I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. Well, I had basically no responsibilities outside of making sure I could still rent my room in my apartment. And so It wasn't a big ask for me. It was like, okay, I'm already poor. So what if I stay poor longer? I mean, granted, I wanted to be making money, but I was willing to give it the time it needed for me to build up my caseload. And again, that was worth it to me to take on that risk of having months where I didn't make a lot of money because I knew that I wanted to build towards something that was going to have the potential to make me so much more money over time. The other thing that I really wanted to do was have freedom. If you were to look at my postgraduate decisions, nearly every single decision would show you that freedom was my top priority. I had been in agencies and jobs where I was told that it had to be a certain way, and I decided I was really done with that. I decided that if I wanted something, I wanted to have the freedom and ability to pursue it. So the Center for Mindful Psychotherapy was really a great fit for me. Because I had the freedom there to set my own fee and a cancellation policy. I got to choose where my office would be. I also got to choose my supervisor and who I would work with. So I basically got to create my private practice under the umbrella of this counseling center and basically have it be what I launched when I finally did launch my private practice. All of the things that I began doing at Center for Mindful Psychotherapy is what I took with me into my private practice. And I really got to start building not just my caseload, but building myself as a business owner and making those tough decisions and finding out what I really wanted, learning how to communicate the things I wanted with clients. Being in this kind of setting also meant that I took on a lot of responsibility. I couldn't necessarily rely on CMP to fill my caseload. I had to learn how to market my own business How to attract clients, how to have effective sales and intake conversations. I had to learn how to do all of those things. And I knew that all of those skills were 100% necessary to having a successful private practice. And the only way to learn how to do them was to practice and try it out. So I figured if I ever want this to happen, the best thing I can do for myself is to start right now, start practicing, start getting as close as possible to what I really want right now. So I hope that's helpful to hear my story of how I thought through some of these things. And I want to bring you back to those questions I asked a few minutes ago. What do you want? What are your priorities? What trade-offs are you willing to make? And what resources do you have available to you? I've spoken with some clinicians who have partners and are able to Uh, be financially supported to an extent by their partners. That's great. That's a resource that you have available to you. If that's your option, wonderful. Maybe you're in a position where you want to and can live with parents. Great. That may be a resource to you. So think about your priorities and think about what resources you have because you can look for ways to leverage your resources to get closer to what you want. And like I said, when you know what your top priorities are, then it is easier to keep on track for where you want to go. It's also easier to say no to decoy offers. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that. My top priority was freedom, and I knew I wanted to have a private practice once I was licensed. I also really, really did not want to get bogged down by that bucket of kids, couples, groups, families hours. I had heard horror stories of therapists who were way beyond their clinical hours requirements to apply for licensure, but they had neglected this certain bucket that they needed to fill. And again, I'm an MFT in California, and I know different license types in different states have totally different requirements. But here in California, as a person who wants to become licensed as an LMFT, you need to have 500 hours of couples, kids, families, groups, things like that. And I really didn't want to get stuck behind those hours. So I made it a point from the very beginning in my traineeship to start getting those hours. But I did it in a way that still prioritized my freedom. So for instance, in my traineeship, our clinic did a partnership with this nonprofit here in San Francisco called Legal Services for Children. They worked with a lot of kids, helping them with legal services, mostly kids who were undocumented and uh, maybe in the foster care system, things like that. And they didn't have uh, therapy for those kids. They had legal services, but they didn't have mental health services for those kids. So they began to work with our clinic, uh, for clinicians to be able to provide pro bono therapy to some of those kids. And I volunteered to do that because I really wanted my kids' hours, and it also sounded like a great thing to do, fit for what I was looking for. At one point, they asked me if I would be willing to start meeting with one of the kids at his middle school. And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. I have a scooter. It's easy enough for me to get there. So I started going to this middle school to meet with this particular kid. And while I was there, I formed a relationship with the other people in the counseling center, the school counselors and mental health care workers that were employed by this school. I got to know the folks in the wellness center. And as that school year was ending, I said, hey, would you be okay if I came back here next year and just volunteered one day a week to meet with kids? And this (laughs) wellness director was overjoyed to have someone volunteer. And what was interesting is that actually the school had a lot of different types of therapists coming in, providing services at the school, but they were always a part of other agencies. So for instance, the YMCA brought associate therapists to the school so that they can meet with the kids. And I considered for a little bit, did I want to go try to get a job with the YMCA so I could get placed in one of these schools and get my hours and also get paid? But when I thought about Having to be involved with a whole agency just to get six hours a week, I was like, nah, that's not worth it for me. I don't want to be required to go to a bunch of trainings. I don't want to get all mixed up in this agency. It is actually worth it to me to volunteer one day a week and do this. And so that was one of the ways that I stayed on top of my kids' hours. I also was prioritizing working with couples. I was advertising that I worked with couples in my therapy practice. I had done a training while I was still in grad school around doing couples therapy work. And so I felt qualified to be working with couples in my practice. I also got to know the people who ran a couple center here in the Bay Area, and they knew they did these weekend workshops for couples and were taking volunteer therapists to come and assist and work with those people uh, over the course of those weekends. And I checked with my supervisor and made sure that she would agree to approve those hours, that she would supervise me for those hours. And I decided to volunteer on these weekend workshops a few different times. And so that also allowed me to get couples hours. Uh, At one point, the people who ran this couple center uh, asked if I would like to come on and work for them as an associate MFT and get hours through them. But their requirement was that I would be available during evenings to see clients. And I just really didn't want to do that. Once again, I was prioritizing my freedom and building the kind of practice I wanted to make. So for me, devoting a few weekends to get these hours totally worked. I was totally fine doing that and volunteering. In fact, it was a lot of fun. But committing several evenings of my week for months or maybe a year or more really didn't work for me because in my practice, I was really wanting to stick to seeing clients during the day no early mornings, no evenings, and just really having having a very streamlined practice. And so even though this seemed like a great offer in many ways, it really wasn't going to work for me because it was outside of the thing that I really wanted to create. And I was laser focused on what is the practice that I want to have? Again, I had spent years working in agencies in settings that other people wanted to create. And I knew that if I was going to go through the trouble of building a practice, I really wanted it to be something that was for me. Of course it's for my clients, but if it's my business, it also needs to be a business that really works for me. So I tried as much as possible to say no to the offers that seemed really good, but ultimately were taking me back and taking me further away from the thing I really, really wanted to create. So when you're asking yourself, what do I really want? I want you to think about not just what you want in the next year or two, but what you want in the next five or 10 years. If you want a private practice, I really want you to take the options that are being presented to you and kind of hold them up against this rubric of, does this actually move me closer to the thing that I really want? And I totally understand that there will be trade-offs to this. You may you may get an option that's like, well, in these ways, yes, in these ways, no, but I really need a paycheck right now, or I really just want to get my hours done, or you know what, I want to take advantage of this whole loan forgiveness thing. Yeah, it's going to be 10 years, but whatever, I want to do it, right? Right. That is okay. That is a decision that you get to make and your path gets to be perfect for you. It gets to be exactly right for you. It doesn't have to be what's typical. It doesn't have to be what your friends or peers are doing. It doesn't have to be what your professors think is what you should be doing. You should be choosing the thing that is going to help you stay in the field, that's going to help you enjoy yourself, that's going to keep you passionate about the work. And I really encourage you to find the thing that's going to work best for you in that way. I want to leave you with one piece of good therapist conditioning that you need to destroy as soon as possible, and that is the idea that you need to pay your dues. Now, I do believe that it's important for early career clinicians to learn and to become skilled and to prioritize that whole process, but I don't actually believe in you paying your dues. It's almost like we are trying to haze our younger therapists. It's like generation after generation of therapists are having bad working conditions. And rather than being like, oh, we should change this. We're like, oh, now it's your turn. Ha ha ha. Now you get to work really hard and be poor. Like this is ridiculous. If someone is telling you that your fee shouldn't be as high as theirs, just because they've been doing the work longer, but your fee does need to be higher because you have whatever bills you need to pay or you just don't want to be broke, them having their ego bruised is not a good reason for you to keep your fee lower. Likewise, if you are having really bad working conditions and someone is telling you that you should just be grateful to have a job at all because they've put up with really poor working conditions for a long time, that is not a justification or an excuse For you to be in the environment you're in, I'm really against this idea of paying our dues. I I think we've been complicit as therapists in having a really broken mental health care system, not just for clients, but for the practitioners. And I think it's time for us to stop telling our younger therapists that you need to pay your dues, expect to be poor, feel lucky to even get a job and basically not have boundaries with your clients and not take care of yourself. That's all terrible and I'm not for it. So I'm totally anti-paying your dues. You go out there and create what you want. I believe that the clients who you can best serve will be attracted to what you create. And I also believe that when you take really great care of yourself, even bigger impact becomes possible. I don't know what that's going to look like for you in particular. And it's honestly none of my business to be out there determining whether or not your impact is big enough. I want you to take really good care of yourself. And I trust you that Good will come out of that. So go out there and make it happen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that this has given you some guidance for how to choose your postgraduate placement and has helped private practice seem a little bit closer than it did before. It is never too soon to start working towards what you really want, so start right now. Next week, we'll be talking with Bay Area therapist April Snow. April completed her postgraduate training at the Center for Mindful Psychotherapy and made some really smart moves early on by choosing a niche near and dear to her heart. She is now the owner of a successful private practice and author of three workbooks with another book on the way. Make sure to tune in next week to hear her story. That's all today for The Bad Therapist Show. Thanks so much for hanging with me. I hope you got some gems that you can start using right away in your own business so that you can break out of good therapist conditioning and build the business that you want. If you've gotten something out of this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with one of your good therapist friends who really needs to hear it. And while you're at it, please consider leaving a rating and or review so that we can change not just our individual businesses, but transform the mental health system that got us here in the first place. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week for more private practice and coaching tips. Remember, bad therapists make the best therapists.